Well, it is good to be with you here today, and I want to thank Jim for the kind invitation to preach. I promise not to mess things up too badly uh, for you. Uh, Beverly, my wife and I bring you greetings from Camarillo, California. Nobody knows where Camarillo is. We're located about an hour up the coast from Los Angeles, about 10 minutes from the ocean in a little area called Pleasant Valley. It was a tough assignment, but somebody had to go, and we decided we would average year-round temperature 70 degrees. No humidity, no bugs. It's the closest thing to heaven, I believe. As mentioned, I uh, retired in 1980. It's interesting, Jim, you probably appreciate this. For 50 years of ministry, I was paid to be good. Now that I'm retired, I'm good for nothing. I'm here all week, tip your server. <laughs> so can we just relax, right? I mean, it's just a bunch of us here. And welcome to you folks who are online, hopefully. Well, I am staying busy. You never actually retire from ministry, you know. I still serve in our church uh, on our missions team. I help lead a small group at our church. We're very active in that. Until the COVID lockdown, uh, I preached a couple of times a month at a Chinese Christian church in town at their English-speaking service. My Mandarin, you know, that's a bit rusty. I do some supply preaching and some fill-in preaching when needed and uh, just honored to be here today. It's interesting, I'm the local go-to pastor for people who don't have a pastor or a church connection but want to have a pastor do their funeral. So I've been around long enough that people trust me, and I get to do that, and that has become a very sacred opportunity for ministry. I occasionally post some of my musings on Facebook. I'm not quite as prolific as Pastor Jim, whose posts I read regularly and enjoy. And when I read about the uh, what's, uh, what's on the menu of the day, my arteries already start to harden. <laughs> I keep asking for some of that food to be expressed out to Southern California. We haven't worked that out yet, but we're, uh, you know, that's in the pipeline. Now, I, seriously, I have the highest regard for Jim and for the elders here of this church and the amazing story and the amazing ministry of North Point Church. I mean, somebody should write a book about what God has done through you all here. As mentioned, uh, Paxton and Debbie Hamby have welcomed us into their family which is good since our son married their daughter. That's uh, probably good for that to happen. And it is my privilege to speak today. Now, my message is entitled, What to Do When the End is Near. Now, if you have your electronic devices at home or if you have a Bible, uh, turn uh, to 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 7 to 11 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 4. Follow along as I read, beginning with verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the very utterances of God. 
Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Now, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and the reason I like it so much is I feel like I've always been living with the end in sight. As mentioned, the first 30 years of my life were spent in Ohio, born in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm a Buckeye. Go Buckeyes. And I'm forced into going for the dogs and two or three other teams, but from Ohio. And I grew up in the 50s and the 60s when we were concerned about the nuclear arms race. Anybody remember those days? I mean, if Russia got the bomb, we were all going to be toast unless we built those backyard bunkers to protect us from all the radiation fallout. And several in our town growing up had those bunkers. When we moved to California, my Ohio friends put us at the top of their prayer lists. We were going to earthquake country. And when the big one hit, we would be gone. One guy lovingly said, remember the San Andreas is not your fault. Now, you'll get that about 3 o'clock this afternoon, okay? Well, I didn't think that was very funny of him, so I gave him my I Survived the Tornado of 78 and the Blizzard of 79 t-shirts, and he calmed down a little bit. But then Y2K hit. Remember Y2K? And how we were to prepare for the grid to come crashing down, uh, we were urged to have plenty of cash in case the banks closed and we couldn't use credit cards or checks. January 15th, 1999, cover of Time magazine proclaimed, The End of the World, Y2K Insanity, Apocalypse Now. Will Computers and Society Melt Down? A Guide to Millennial Madness. And now here we are, 2020, back worrying about nations getting nuclear capabilities. COVID has altered the way we go about our daily lives. We just came through a contentious election, and depending on your political persuasion, you're either proclaiming life is over as we know it, or life is pretty good. Terrorism and violence are now part of our new normal here in the U.S. Some politicians and scientists have told us we only have about 10 or 12 years left before everything totally disintegrates. The internet and social media have changed how we communicate. And in some ways, it's good because we can do this and stay connected. In other ways, it keeps us isolated. But we can shop online. We can do business online. We can live our whole lives online. We are the most connected people in history, but many of us live in isolation. Additionally, the sweeping cultural changes of long-held biblical values have caused some to proclaim the end of all things is truly at hand. Now, the truth is, every generation since the time of Christ has lived with the end in view. Think about it. Many Christ followers took the words of Jesus literally when he said he would return to earth and bring final judgment on all sin and begin eternity. We sang about that this morning. They thought he would return and the end would happen within their lifetime in the first century. Jesus went on record in Luke chapter 12, verse 40. 
He said, you got to be ready. The Son of Man is coming in an hour you don't expect. John 14, a familiar passage. Jesus told his followers, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there's many rooms. There's plenty of room. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, won't I come back and take you to be with me? In Acts chapter 1, verse 11, the angel told the disciples after the ascension of Jesus. They said, men of Galilee, why are you still looking at the sky, standing here? This same Jesus who is taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. They thought it was going to happen soon. Forty-four times the New Testament writers make direct reference to the return of Jesus and the end of the world. And in today's text from 1 Peter, the apostle writes to displaced, persecuted Christians in Asia Minor, probably about 40 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. We sang a little bit about that. And Peter says the end is near, 40 years after the resurrection. And he encourages these believers to stand firm in their faith, no matter what the current circumstances and pressures of life and faith may be no matter which end may be approaching. It might be the end that comes at the hands of the Roman Emperor Nero. According to Christian tradition, Peter was crucified upside down in Rome by Nero. Maybe the end would come from hostile religious people trying to wipe out the Christian faith, and there were plenty of religious people who tried to wipe out the faith Or maybe it would come from living in a fallen culture with a fading sense of morality or a deadly pandemic, and we have had many of those through the centuries. Or maybe the end would come just from the pressures of life. You see, in the final analysis, we all live with the end being near. Which end? It doesn't really matter nuclear, terrorist attack, climate change, earthquakes, drought, brush fires, mudslides, car accident, driving home from church, sudden illness, persecution from hostile governments or from our own government, COVID-19 stress, or just plain old age. Some of us are feeling that. Or the glorious return of our Savior. And since the end is near, how do we Christ followers live? Well, Peter offers four commands for living in the end times. Here's the first one. Peter starts in verse 7. The end is near. Therefore, keep your mind clear so you can pray clearly. Verse 7. Be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Now those words, sound judgment, can be translated, be clear-minded, be in your right mind, keep your mind steady, be self-restrained, sober, and alert for the practice of prayer. It's the image of not being drunk when it comes to spiritual items. It implies spiritual alertness to see things clearly and to keep our minds from becoming numb with the intoxicating influences of life. And those intoxicating influences don't have to be drug or alcohol related. Maybe you can think of some mind-numbing activities which can dull our senses. 
We can get drunk on a lot of things in life that turn us from spiritual focus. We can get drunk on power. That's a big deal these days. We can get drunk on our careers, our possessions, status, social media. Can't leave home without it, right? Ego, sports, fantasy football. You'd be surprised the number of people where we live whose lives revolve around fantasy football. Shopping, politics, all of those can distract us. You know what else can turn our hearts and minds away from God? Anxiety and fear and guilt and anger. And before we know it, our focus is on the event or the difficulty and not on the one who can bring calm and peace and hope and strength and endurance. Maybe it's not so much our minds get numbed as we get distracted and we forget God. We get distracted from seeking God's help and we get distracted from praying for each other. And those are the two places from which most of our spiritual resource and help and support come. So Peter says, the end is near, but you stay cool, calm, and collected so you can pray. So you know how to pray and for whom to pray. In fact, if you're listening online, and many of you are, and you're with your family, a few people here, I need to turn to your neighbor and tell them, the end is near, but stay cool, calm, and collected so you can pray, and I'll be praying for you. Go ahead, take 10 seconds and do that. Remember the part about I'll be praying for you, too. The prophet Isaiah tells us this. God will keep in perfect peace all those who trust in him, whose thoughts turn often to the Lord. Trust in the Lord always, for in the Lord Jehovah, that's your everlasting strength. Why? Because the end is near. Which end? It, it doesn't really matter. So number two, keep your compassion strong. Keep your mind clear. Keep your compassion strong. Look at verse 8, 1 Peter 4. Above all, Peter tells us, keep fervent in your love for each other because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, when we live with the end in sight, not only do we need spiritual support from God and from others, we need compassion support from God and others. I think you'd agree with me that we can face all kinds of tough stuff if we know our brothers and sisters in Christ love us and are in our corner and we are not alone. The love to which Peter refers here is a love, did you catch it, that covers a multitude of sins. Now that's not a blind love that ignores sin, nor is it the perfect love of God in Christ which forgives our sin. Only the blood of Jesus can cover our sin and cleanse us spiritually for eternity. So how does this verse work? Well, notice that phrase, keep fervent in your love for one another. One verse, one version translates it, have a deep, intense, and unfailing love for one another. It literally means have a love that can be stretched. It's the picture of the taut muscles of the halfback or the wide receiver as they are stretched out to get that 
football over the goal line. Peter tells us that our love for one another is a love that stretches out. Notice Peter says, above all. This is priority. Because the end is near. Which end? It doesn't really matter. When we face any end, we want people who care about us, who are standing with us. Now, would you agree that sometimes you have to stretch and strain to love other people? To love other people in the family of Christ? Certainly not in this church. Nor in the church in Camarillo. Two exceptions. We have to stretch and strain to love others outside of the family of Christ, don't we? And sometimes we have to stretch and strain to love others who are part of our own family. Sometimes we stretch to love that person who's just super critical of us. Or that person who makes unwise choices and their life is totally messed up. But life stretches. And love stretches. And the Bible doesn't put any qualifiers on it. Right? Sooner or later, we all need the love of Christ that stretches to include us and our messes. Now notice this stretchy, what this stretchy love does in verse 8. It covers a multitude of sins. Now how does that work? Now let me give you a story from the Old Testament that I think explains it. Remember the Old Testament story of Noah and the flood? God delivered Noah and his family uh, from the great flood and Noah gratefully offered sacrifices to God. That was a good thing. But then he planted a vineyard and he made some wine and he got drunk. Genesis 9. And he was so wasted, he passed out naked in his tent. His oldest son Ham saw his father lying there in disgrace. And instead of covering up his dad, he ran and blabbed to his brothers about his father's condition. Not a particularly loving thing to do. His brothers, Shem and Japheth, got a blanket and they, this is kind of cool, they walked backward into the tent, not leering at their disgraced father as the other son evidently had done. They respectfully covered up the naked body of their drunken father instead of gloating over the situation. Their love covered his sin. And when we gloat over someone's sin and the mess in their lives, and we can't wait to tweet or text or email our friends and expose them, or we post something on Facebook or Instagram that only increases their shame, or we can't wait to call our friends and gossip, when we start doing that, we may want to reread this command about stretching out our love and perhaps a little repentance. But if we hurt for that person and we, we want to help them find their way through the mess to the grace of God, we need a love that covers their sin, not blind to their, to their mess, nor ignore the mess or hide the sin or excuse the sin. Peter's talking about a love that knows a person has faults but needs compassion and a compassion that continues to stretch out in grace to them. Three times Peter denied Jesus, but the love of Christ stretched out to him 
the compassion of Christ stretched out to Paul the murderer, Matthew the corrupt and hated tax collector, James and John the sons of thunder. Their ego was completely out of control. And Christ's compassion stretched 21 centuries down the corridors of history to me, a recovering sinner, and to you. And we need that compassion. Why? Because the end is near. Which end? It doesn't really matter. A few years ago, our kids and their spouses and our grandkids all visited us in Camarillo at the same time. Michelle and Michael and William came from Okinawa where they were stationed with their Marine father. Nathan, our son, and Mandy and Henry and Millie came from Rome. I like to tell people when we come here, uh, we're vacationing in Rome. And they say, oh, really? Yeah, Rome, Georgia. Ever hear of it? No. <laughs> now, these, this is pre-Kate days, okay? I told people when every coming, it's like the Waltons on steroids. I mean, life was crazy, but it was a good crazy. So the family gathering was uh, all planned, months in advance, tickets purchased, bunk beds assembled, toys out. And before everybody was to arrive, we got the call that Beverly, my wife, had a lump and it was cancer. We got the cancer news on Monday, June 1st. We met with the surgeon on Tuesday, June 2nd. The surgery was scheduled for Tuesday, June 9th. And on Friday, June 12th, I picked up Michelle and her boys at Los Angeles International Air Airport. Two weeks later, one more surgery to make sure all the affected areas were clear, and they were and are. We picked up Nathan and Mandy and their kids at LAX. Now, I do not fully understand how God works together all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. I don't have that one figured out. And I don't believe God causes cancer, nor do I believe he always answers prayers for healing the way I want them answered. He answers in the ways that honor his purposes. So I don't know about any of that stuff, but this is what I do know. When we heard the C word, it was not too difficult to think that the end might be near. That's a sobering thing. And you may understand processing that news and realizing how frail and fleeting life is and how little we control because you've been there too. And maybe you are there right now. And COVID has certainly provided many opportunities. But really what helped us was the number of men and women at church who had battled cancer and came around Beverly and me and supported us with compassion and encouragement. We're so grateful for the medical people and their good skill and certainly for the prayers and the kind support of many who literally walked with us. Their love stretched out. And having the kids and the grandkids there, that was just an extra special blessing. Because whatever end may be near, and it doesn't really matter, does it? You depend on the compassion that stretches out and covers sin and trouble. And you're glad for those who with calm assurance offer prayers of hope and help and healing. So you stay clear-minded and sober so you can pray. Keep your compassion stretching out. Number three, keep your heart and your home open. 
Look at verse 9. Peter says, be hospitable to one another. Get this now, without complaint. (laughs) Now, the context for this one another command comes from the first two verses of chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1. If you have your devices, just flip over. I think it's up on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. From Peter, an apostle of Jesus, to God's chosen people who live as refugees scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. You were chosen according to the purpose of God the Father and were made a holy people by His Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be purified by His blood. May grace and peace be yours in full measure. Now Peter writes to Christians who find themselves on the front end of a wave of persecution from both religious and Roman authorities because of their allegiance to Jesus. Now Rome didn't care who else you worshipped as long as Caesar was at the top of the list. Now that's problematic for Christians who place Jesus as Lord, not Caesar. So persecution in varying degrees starts to happen. Some Christians were disowned and shunned by their families. Others were forced to leave their homes and jobs under threat of death. These believers in 1 Peter got scattered all over Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And the uncertainty of life made Christian hospitality a necessity. Does that make sense? Now, hospitality is a big part of Middle Eastern culture. It's a big part of Southern culture. We're still working on it in Southern California. But if you were a weary traveler, it was kind of a cultural expectation that you would receive hospitality from friends or fellow citizens when you came into town. The practice was, was, not, was, not, uh, was not taken lightly. I mean, it was, I mean, it was really serious. You literally came under the protection of the home almost like you were family. You would have had your feet washed. You would have been fed and cared for. In fact, here's an easy way to remember the rules of hospitality in the Bible. Wash my feet, give me something to eat, protect me Pete. Got it? <laughs> Wash my feet, give me something to eat, protect me Pete. That's a nod to First Peter. You're to be welcomed with an open heart and an open home. And we can see how valuable that would be for scattered believers to receive that kind of welcome from their Christian family. The hospitality was a genuine expression of the love that stretches out that we just spoke about. Now, if you have guests in your home, you know it takes time and energy and resources, right? Food gets consumed. Towels get dirty. Furniture and carpets get stained. Toilet paper gets used But love is a stretch. And during these days of COVID-19 now, with social distancing and masks when we're in public and all of the extra precautions for safety, hospitality has taken on a whole new dimension because of the social distancing and isolating at home. By the way, when we get back home uh, from our trip here, we have to self-isolate for 14 days. Thank you very much. 
uh, I guess Paxson or Jim said, who's going to check on you? I said, nobody. (laughs) Nobody knows where Camarillo is. But social distancing and isolation, I mean, how does our love stretch, given that? Well, I know that your church is doing lots of things to help this community and to minister and reach out to those who have to be at home. Maybe it's dropping off groceries or toilet paper or cleaning supplies if you have some extra to share or doing some shopping for those who can't. When, when the COVID hit uh, initially in Southern California, we had people who were calling us. You know, you're old people, you're retired. Can we get you something? That was so, such a blessing. Maybe a phone call occasionally to check on people. And with the phone call, remember, you're praying for them. Say the prayer in the phone call. It's so valuable. Or text a prayer. I save all the text prayers that I get. You know why? I like to read them over and over and over again. We're part of a small group in Camarillo. It's a little bit larger than some of your small groups here. But our small group has become so valuable for us during this season. Now, there are eight couples and a single person. We use Zoom for our weekly Bible studies, and that includes praying for each other. I mean, Zoom is not like being in person, as you know, but it's pretty good. You can see people. You can hear people. We pray for each other. We know that weekly connection is going to happen. We share needs and resources. We even have our own prayer chain. And we have found that our compassion can stretch and our hospitality can stretch even online. And that's why the small groups have such a high value for church. And I would just affirm what you are doing here and encourage all of you to be part of some kind of small group. Because for some people, COVID can mean the end might be very near. Which end? It doesn't really matter, does it? Maybe it's the end of a marriage. This COVID situation has been really tough on family relationships and parent and child relationships and marriages. Maybe it's some bad news from a medical test. Maybe the job is gone now and nobody knows about that. Maybe it's a recent loss of a parent or a spouse or a child. You know, it's so difficult when you have an older parent in a, in a rest home or a care facility and you can't get in to see them. Maybe for some it's a horrible experience that they had with a church several years ago and they decided to give Jesus one more chance and they decided to give his family one more chance and they live next to us. How does that sentence end? How far will our love stretch? How far will our hospitality extend? How far will our prayers reach to the family next door? to the end of our street. Nobody likes COVID, but it has given the local church the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus in hospitable ways for our community. So let your light continue to shine in these dark times. And notice we're to do it without what? Yeah, no grumbling, no mumbling, no murmuring, no begrudging, no complaining aloud. Why? Because the end is near. Which end? 
<laughs> it doesn't really matter. So one more point, and then we'll be finished. I don't know how you do it, Jim, but just because I say one more point, I mean, just because the, the wheels come down on the airplane doesn't mean we're going to touch down on the tarmac, right? <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Number four, keep your service to God honoring of him. Keep your service God honoring. Now, I said before, and all of us would agree, you don't retire from Christian service. You just don't. And if I could exhort you, shame on you if you're retired and you're not active in your faith. Well, we've served all these years. We're going to let everybody else. Sorry. You can be mad at me, but I'm, I'm telling you the truth. Nobody retires from Christian service. It's not found anywhere in Scripture. There's always something we can do. Check this out. No, how old was Noah when he started the ark project? 500 years old. Moses was 80 when God called him to lead the exodus. John was 99 when he wrote Revelation. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Peter tells us, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God's grace doesn't stop when you hit a certain age. And remember, this is happening in the context of the end of all things. Keep using your gifts from God, even though times are tenuous. Whoever speaks, Peter said, do so as one speaking the utterances of God. That prayer text that you send to somebody, that's the utterance of God. Whoever serves, to do so as one who is serving with the strength that God supplies, even if you have to be quarantined at home because you caught something. You can still serve in the strength that God supplies. Now, some serve in public. Some serve behind the scenes. All serve in the strength of the Lord. People sometimes wonder, how do I know where I'm supposed to serve? I would say, see a need and meet it. That's just oversimplification. Let me share a little acrostic that may help. I'm sure you probably have used it here. I think we serve best when we serve according to our shape. S-H-A-P. The S stands for spiritual gifts that God gives us when we become His. We share best, when, or we serve best according to our heart. What do we really have a passion for? Some of you all have a big passion for music. You do not want me to lead music at a local church service. We'll sing Gregorian chants and I'll wear a robe, so you don't want that. Some people, and in a good way, I don't mean that disrespectful to people who chant Gregorioli and wear robes. See, I'm built for comfort, not for speed, okay? And I, a robe works really well for me. We serve best when we serve according to our abilities. What skills and natural abilities do you have? We serve best when we serve according to our personality and temperament. Uh, some people need to spend a lot of time with people. Others need to be kept away from people, you know? <laughs> outgoing reserved and we serve best when we serve according to our experiences all of us have we sang about it today all of us have tough experiences and good experiences that teach us about life talking about life lesson are you with me Henry there you go thank you very much we learn about life both the good and the bad stuff and why waste that learning why waste that experience Edward Hale said I am only one but I am one can't do everything, but I can do something. 
to something I ought to do, I can do, and by the grace of God, I will. So don't stop serving. Why? Well, the end is near. Which end? Doesn't really matter. Stay cool, calm, and collected so you can pray. Keep your compassion strong and stretching. Keep that heart open and the home open as much as safety will allow during these days. You can figure out a whole bunch of ways. Be creative. God will inspire that. And you keep serving and honoring Christ. And here's why, in addition to the fact that the end is near. Look at verse 11. So that in all things, God gets the glory, the glory through Jesus Christ, to him to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever and ever. Amen. Before I pray for us and we come to the next part of our service, let me just add a tagline. The best way to prepare for the end is to be right with God through Jesus. And if you're listening today and, and you're thinking about church, you're thinking about faith, and you're thinking about tough times and how do I make it through COVID, one of the best ways you can prepare is to be right with Christ, to be right with your Savior, to have his grace, to have his forgiveness, to have his peace, to have his presence in your life. And I know Pastor Jim and the leaders of this church are more than ready to help you with that decision. Thanks again for letting me be here today. Let me pray for you. God, our Father, we thank you that your word is clear. We thank you that you have provided wisdom and guidance and direction for us. And now, Lord, I pray your blessing on North Point, North Point, North Point Church and the leaders and the members, the brothers and sisters here. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless them and encourage them and strengthen them and use them in this community and around the globe as they serve. We give you all the praise and all the glory, Father. And we're glad that you love us and that your love stretches out to us. And we receive that and honor you through it. And we pray these things in the strong name of Christ our Savior. Amen.